There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello Egg Chasers, it's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. What we do take seriously, however, is making sure you have a fix of rugby every single Monday morning. No rest for the wicked, and that's why we're back here in the Rugby Dungeon. I'm Tim with JB. Hello Tim. And down the line in an Egg Chasers TMO shipping container. Um, we'll find out what the reason is in a moment, but it's Phil. Hello, Tim. Hello, right. gentlemen. So is this more life-saving work on your part to support your good lady wife? I would love to say yes, but unfortunately not. She's just on the piss again. Uh, she's off to a wedding in Kent. And it's... while I was invited, I decided I'd much rather do the pod with you boys. Although, unfortunately, I have to do it from the ch- shipping container because we've got the two two kids asleep in the um, custom-built Egg Chasers shipping compartment within the shipping container <laughs> wow i thought that was a just like filing cabinet that you've put a pillow in wasn't it <laughs> basically yeah it's not much different to that yeah yeah well i'm taking the shipping container next week to uh, gran canera to go big game fishing wonderful yeah, wow. so, yeah i've got my special container equipped with rods and all sorts and then are we taking the shipping container to north dorset or are we no no we'll be yeah, we'll ship down there. We'll Easier. ship it down there and we'll, we'll ship it back. <laughs> Shipping costs are so much cheaper than driving that nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> so true, although it is quite landlocked in the middle of North Dorset. Yeah, out of Liverpool, into Felixstowe, short and train ride across. It's train it's train locked and road locked as well. Isn't it just? But it'll be fun. Yeah, be absolutely Looking great. forward to retaining our titles. And winning some, winning some new ones, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so uh, on this podcast, we're going to talk about rugby stuff, but there is less than than ordinarily to talk about. Uh, We'll be previewing the summer tours, which kick off, and what is it? Wales are in South Africa, um, Ireland are in New Zealand, England are in Australia. That's that's pretty tasty. Where are Scotland? They are in Argentina. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Then um, America, aren't they? Because they've got, haven't they? Aren't they playing Chile at some point? Could well be. Could well or be. It might be. It might be Scotland A against Chile. Actually. Oh, that, that's correct. I think. I think. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't that this weekend? Didn't that already happen? Could have. Yeah. Um. I would. I would go and listen to the boys at the Thistle Rugby Pod for that. Personally, the only Scottish uh, rugby podcast worth listening to. Well, also, a green and gold still going. No, is the answer. No, because. Well, you may remember. I, I was just thinking back to 2016 when England went to Australia. The OGs. And uh, yeah, and the great little that was some, six years ago. That was some great banter between uh, between <laughs> Green and Gold and us. That was great. God, that is six years ago. Six years ago. Wow. Uh, when I predicted that it would be a whitewash to England, 
James Haskell was uh, right, well was cashing you, checks that I wrote. Are you just saying that now because we have <laughs> we no one's going to have the impetus to go back and check? You did you really you, say that? I honestly said three 0 <laughs> JB, that's ridiculous. I've got no idea how it's going to pan out this time. But last time I was pretty sure it would be three 0 Eddie Jones has never lost to Australia since he's been England coach. He's got he's got a perfect record. How many times has he played? Mind you, he's only played him at Twickenham and that three 0 whitewash. So he's only played him yeah. a million and in the times. World Cup. And in Where, the World Cup, yeah. Why, which game did he have, in the, have him in the World Cup? Uh, in the first round oh, yeah. of the knockouts. First knockout round. Ah. The round of 16. And then presumably a couple of autumn internationals as well. Yeah. Yes, indeed. He's done well then. He has well, done very well. well then, tell you what, if you're going to look at something um, which has changed over six years, how about the esteem that Eddie Jones has held in from being the Messiah taking England down straight after the... Lancaster debacle, the Sam Burgess disaster, um, to winning 3 0 in, Aus- in Australia, and everyone thinking. And a Grand Slam. And a Grand Slam, yeah. And bringing Maratoji through. And what? Not- Stuart Lancaster brought Maratoji through. No, he did through. not. Yes, he did. No, he did. I don't think. I think. I don't think Maratoji played a single game in the Lancaster. Really? I think he played his first game in the Six Nations. Because if you remember, huh. he started one year. For Saracens, he just showed up at Saracens. And he showed up for England basically the same year, and in one year he'd won like the Premiership, the Six Nations. Like he hadn't lost a game of professional rugby in his first year of being a professional. So Prize winning Marrow. Yeah, so yeah. No, I, I gave him his first Man of the Match medal. Now I think George Cruis or Cruz or however you want to say his name, he might have played in the Lancaster, but he was the yeah he, he did c- come in through through Lancaster. I think if there is one thing to that maybe. I mean, he's clearly got other things going on. He's an interesting bloke, but potentially it is a, a stain on Eddie Jones's esteem that he's held in that that he couldn't convince George Cruz to come back for eighteen months. I agree. I agree. Because I was thinking about the the World Cup in twenty nineteen. Didn't he looking like when you think how George Cruz is only thirty two now? So he was God. He was twenty nine. He was like prime age, and he got benched for. The quarterfinal, semi-final, final. Did he really? Yeah. Did he? It was Courtney Laws in the second row. Didn't Courtney Laws play six? Because it was the it was the Kamikaze brothers on the flanks. Yes, it was. Um, yeah. Who did pretty well? Green on the hill. Yeah, yeah. Looking back at that, it all the Kyle Sinclair concussion was the turning. Well, was it turning point? It was one player. South Africa were going to win that game. They were going to win know. it, but I just think I don't know why Kyle Sinclair was one of the players in the world at that moment who seemed to be a difference maker, both his hands, his carrying, everything. Remember how excited they were about him going to Bristol? I don't think he's really justified that that excitement. In fact, I think since the time of that World Cup, his stock has continually fallen. He's done some great man of, he's done some great man of the match interviews, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. Save yeah. your world. Oh, save your oh. world. His breathing's spot on. His mindset's great. His <laughs> self-awareness, all of that, world-class. Sadly, his ball-carrying and handling skills, which were so good before he moved... They don't seem to have transferred over to Bristol or to his international career from that point. No, and, and he's not, uh, he's rested um, for the summer tour as well. And then Harlequins so, went and when it, it, who is more responsible for Harlequins' premiership win? Is it Kyle Sinclair leaving or is it Gustav leaving? One of those two is responsible. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I take you back to 2016? Because there's one thing I was remembering, thinking about this tour to Australia. And uh, before I do that, can I just say, it was Andy Farrell a few weeks ago who said, um, this will probably be the last Ireland team ever to have a a series against New Zealand, and he and he's right. Explain that because summer series 
well, this is the only time it happens is in the summer, isn't it? When Northern Hemisphere sides go to the Southern Hemisphere. It's yeah. the only time you have a series. It's not going to be a thing. Why is that? What because, because of the world rugby potential plans to have a, um, a uh, year-long competition oh, God. where everyone you know, plays everyone. Right. Do you know what? I don't need to think about this. I do not need to think about it. Let's just put that put that in a drawer and leave it. I, I can't wrap my head around that just at this point. But yeah, that seems like quite a serious change, doesn't it? Yeah. And it, well, it, it just, yeah, it goes back to that thing that they're, they're going to get rid of something which is really amazing and the intensity of a three-match series, the storylines, the history and all the rest of it that you create. The fact we're still talking about England 2016. Um, and, and you're going you're gonna to shelve that to create an annual competition which will dilute the value of the World Cup. So, yeah. Mm. Just on that, uh, what do you feel about summer tours? Because uh, I don't really get that excited about them, to be honest. Do you? I think in the context of where we are, in the in fourteen months' time, there's going to be or fifteen months' time, there's going to be a World Cup. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty significant because Australia are one of those sides on the rise. And when you look back to England in two thousand and three, they went on a summer tour, and they went down under, and they beat Australia in their backyard, and then they went and beat New Zealand in their backyard. And oh. and, and and the England team that won the World Cup talk about that trip as being the moment where they went that. Right, no, we've got this. Yeah, that that game when they beat New Zealand, I mean, everyone talks about where they were when uh, Princess Di- Di- Princess Diana died. I know exactly where I was when um, England beat New Zealand. I was actually working in my grandmother's hotel, and I kept on running back into her flat to 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 check the scores. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So actually, I think the value of the summer tours has either decreased. Or I've got more cynical as I've got older. But I just mm. think there's so much rugby being played. You're almost watching these flogged players go on a plane with very little hope of winning, I I, I believe. And is it really that valuable? And I know why we've got to do it, because it's reciprocal. Because those unions that we go visit need the gate receipts. They need the international cash, which is absolutely un- understandable. But I just feel it's a test series too far at the end of the season. I think rugby would be better if it just turned itself off now. And there's there's also something. So obviously there are there have been amazing series in the past, um, but there's often mismatch series. Yeah, and we we could well see. I I actually think of the three big ones this year. I think Ireland New Zealand will be a, a decent series. Although I fully expect New Zealand to to win that. Mm. Um, I think England Australia that should be a good series. I think Wales going to South Africa, Wales will be lucky lucky to lose by 30 points in all three of those games. They'll be lucky to all come back alive. Yeah, that that is just a mismatch series. And it just becomes, when you've got, if you've got three games, if Wales get hammered in the first game, which oh. is highly, highly likely, no one will have any interest in the second two games, least of all the players. Yeah. Well, so someone in the times, overkill. Someone in the times. It wasn't Stephen Jones. It's someone else, and I, I forget their name. Um, and it's not a criticism I, either. But they wrote very disparagingly of South Africa. They said, "Massive, uninspired, something else, and we'll replace one massive front row with another." And it's written like a criticism. I thought, no, it's not. That's awesome. <laughs> That's ace. So uh, yeah, the Welsh test or the Welsh tests are going to be monumentally hard. But just jumping back to 2016, 
let me just play you something. Meanwhile, England rugby coach Eddie Jones has yes. said it would be a failure if we don't win the series. Hey, who've ever been beaten Australia in Queensland? Remember 98? Oh, I remember 98. Surely they... Wait, 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 wait. There was another one that night in Brisbane. How good is it winning when you're the host country? That was Fox Sports Australia. <laughs> That's how to hype up a tour. The thing is, I remember they got well, so much thanks. backlash for that that they they deleted the video. Well, do you, I just it just reminded me of something. Do you know what the other event was which made this tour so important and so special? Well, the win so special. Australia knocked out England from the World Cup effectively, didn't they? Yeah. And I forgot about that little wrinkle because they really went to town on them. So the difference in the Stuart Lancaster approach to whatever he was doing and then the Eddie Jones approach was just, it was night and day. And now I think about it from that point of view, it's a lot different, a lot more impressive. Well, here we go. Here's, here's a thing. Can ben you Taylor. name the team? <laughs> I know. What do you know about Ben Taylor? <laughs> right. What, <laughs> can you name the team that started for England uh, in the first test yes, in Brisbane. Easy, easy. Should we, uh, should, we do, uh, should we alternate? Yeah, alternate. So from from one to fifteen. Yeah, um, I won't get a single one wrong. Come on. Okay, you can go number one then, JB. I'll let Phil go first. No, no, you, you go number one. You I, I will go number two. <laughs> I think I know number two. Okay, you, I tell you what, you can just name a player. You Dylan, don't have to name shirt number one. Dylan Hartley. <laughs> Um, yeah, correct. He was hooker and and captain as well. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go number one. Uh, oh, let's uh, go, Mako. Take. There we go. <laughs> so, uh, yes, correct on Vunapola. Correct on Dylan Hartley, and you've gone for Marrow. That's right. Correct, Philip. Uh, I'm gonna go for. Hask. Correct. Was wearing six. Seven, sorry. At, well, but we all know what it really meant. Six and a half, because Rob Shaw had the other six and a half. Correct. So you've got two players in the pack, a lock and a number eight. And a tight head we're missing. And a tight head, yeah. Tight head, yeah. lock, I'll number go, eight. I'll go tight head. I think it's probably Dan Cole. Correct, Phil. Well played. Billy. Billy V was number eight, so you got seven of the eight in the pack. Just one lock is missing. You could go for a back player if you wanted, Phil. You don't have to go for No, no, go, go for the lock, Phil. I think it's probably... Don't mess it up, though. It's either... I, I think it's either Big Courts or George Cruz, but I'm, I'm going to go... I'm going to play it safe and go for uh, Ben Youngs at nine. Correct, <sighs> correct. Ben Youngs. Owen Farrell. 
Correct. Ten. There's your halfbacks. Hmm. Uh, let's go now. Was it one of these games where? Come on, Phil. Come on, Phil. Come on. I'm gonna. I'm gonna end up playing it safe again. I'm That's gonna right. go. Do Mike, that. Mike Brown. Mike Brown, fullback. Correct. Uh, okay, this is really, really quite. So you got 12, 30, 11, 12, 13, 14, and five. Yeah, so this is getting a bit tricky now. Well, it's not really, because Jonathan Joseph played. He did. He scored. Mm. He scored a couple of tries, I think. Um, yes, Jonathan Joseph was 13. Um, 11, 12, 14, and five. So I think, I can't remember which. So, do I go safe again? I think there's one more safe player. That's Anthony Watson. Correct, 14. That's what I was going to go for next. 5, 11, 12. Okay. Johnny May? Johnny May is incorrect. Oh, God damn it. Now, I know in one of these games, so it's not this one, but so I know two players got withdrawn after like 20 minutes. Oh, yes. And one of his and, in, one is in the and, news. Yeah, so one of them, but obviously not this game, was Tamina Harrison. It must have been one of the later games. But the other one was Big Luth. So was it Big Luth in the 12th shirt? Luther Burrell was t- inside centre. Unreal. And he got replaced after 29 minutes for... It'd be so embarrassing. It would have been ben George Teal. Ford. George Ford. George Ford. George yeah. Ford, okay. And they went, went to the Ford Farrell. That's where the Ford Farrell thing began in that game. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I'm going to say George George Cruz. George Cruz, correct. So you're... Uh, and what other winger? Yeah, there's one other winger, which you're, all, you're equal at the moment. So... Um, Hang on. I've not got anything wrong yet. Hang on. For, no, no, oh, but look, JB look, started, so... Let's, let, let, let's be very clear. We, we are equal. Uh, Tim, <laughs> Tim just mentioned that. So don't mess no, up. No, with that one that he just got, this would win it. If you can get the winger, you would win it. You can't lose it, though, basically. Hmm. Ben Cohen. Ben Cohen. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Johnny. Um, Johnny, go on, Johnny, say it, Jack, say it. Say I'm going to say Jack Noel. Jack Noel was on the bench and came on. Oh, was it Manu Swilangi? It was not Manu. Oh. Manu played wing against New Zealand in about 20... 20- 12 or 13 by the way that wasn't my guess this is one of the this is one of the unusual times when I think Manu was injured for a summer tour <laughs> I wonder what happened there um, it wasn't oh sorry go on Jay no no I've, I'm out of ideas wasn't Daly was it no uh, is there anyone else that's sort of disappeared from the international scene there's definitely someone that's disappeared from rugby huh? Molignard correct <laughs> <laughs> oh Marlon Yard. You could have been a while guessing that one. Yeah. Yes. Goodness me. So that, that was your starting team. And I'm just thinking, uh, so Anthony Watson's still involved. Uh, Owen Farrell, Ben Youngs, Mano, Manu Vinopola, Mako Vinopola, sorry. Uh, Maru Itoji, Billy Vinopola. So that's one, two, three, four, five of the starting team that day, six years ago, could end up being... Starting players, quite legitimately, could be starting players mm. in the first test on Saturday. Which is well, ironic. There's... And the irony of this, of course, is 
That is the core of senior players that Stuart Lancaster always yearned for. That's why he was capping people who maybe shouldn't have been capped, in my opinion. And he wanted now, to get lots of them up to the fifty cap mark. Fifty cap because mark, yeah. signal and the noise. He thought that you know it was the caps that was important, not the players. And interestingly, Jack Noel, he's he's on the tour, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, so he he came off the bench. George Ford came off the bench, and he would have been involved had he not been injured. Danny Kerr came on for Ben Youngs, and he's oh. on the, he's on tour again. Uh, yep. LCD came on for Hartley, and he's involved. And Laws came on for George Cruz, and he's involved. Oh. So it's quite a lot of players that, which again, it's not the be all and end all. And it, I think England have got some issues, but. Actually, they've got a lot of very, very, very experienced players. Yeah. I I think they are, of all the home nations, they've got the matchup which probably suits them best, I think. I mean, Argentina, Scotland, yeah, that's you know, something else we can discuss later. England, Australia. I think England have got a very good chance of turning over Australia. Uh, 2-1, maybe even maybe even 3-0. Because if you think English rugby's in a poor place, I don't think Australian rugby's in a much better place. And a lot of their best players are just not available. So England have a handful of people who aren't available, but they're not necessarily going to be involved. So Zach Mercer would be a good example, who we'll talk about later. But neither here nor there. Australia, I mean, I don't know. Are they allowed to recall Will Skelton or the Arnold brothers or... You know, one of the London Irish locks, which have got, I mean, they've got a lot of talent not available to them. So and, whether they're allowed to or not, I don't think they have. I'm looking at the the team at the moment and the guys that you just mentioned, the Arnold boys, uh, Simmons, they're not there. So they haven't done whether they are allowed to or not. Because there's, there's the Gitto rule, isn't there? Yeah. Is it 60 cap? 60 mm. caps. So they sort of found themselves in a very similar situation to Wales, uh, except for their players actually want to go out and experience the world. And, <laughs> you know, it should be, look, X amount of caps or X amount of years served in Super Rugby. You can't have it both both ways. So I think that they'll be up against it big time. I don't think they will. I think Australia have been looking really good. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 go on. I, I think Australia have actually been looking really good. I agree with you that they would be better if they could have... Coleman, Arn- Arnold, Skelton as options. There's some giant human beings right there, but they're. Uh, I think they're in pretty good shape, and I think come World Cup time next year, as always tends to happen on average with Australia, they always get themselves in a position where they're very, very competitive. I think you're probably right. I, I think World Cups are a weird thing to judge Tier One teams on, and I'll tell you why. Unless you've won it. You know, you're expected, aren't you? Unless you're well, you're expected as a tier one team, you're expected to get to a quarterfinal. Basically, one team will miss out, and that will be, or a couple of teams might miss out. But generally speaking, if you're Six Nations or Rugby Championship, you've got to be getting well, to that, quarterfinal. That is why that is where you judge tier one teams. Yeah, but you can you can like say, the Olympic Games. You judge the Olympic get you judge the hundred meter final at an Olympic game. Yeah. You don't go well in in Lucerne in two years ago. I was really quick. Yeah, yeah. What, what I'm trying to say though is the you know you say that. Australia are competitive. I mean, are they really that competitive? Are they competitive enough to win it? Uh, not really. They'll be competitive enough to get to the quarterfinals, I suggest, but not really much further than that. Oh, unless they play Ireland. How many finals have they been to? Uh, three. Four, four out of eight? They've won it twice. They've lost in two final, at least two finals. Because they lost to England and New Zealand. Uh, England in 
there's, there's been there's been nine finals. They they've been semi-finals pr- pretty much all but two when they mm. were both knocked out by England. Um, yeah. Anyway, they're uh, they're they're perennial c- competitors, and I think they're going to be all right. I think they're going to be okay. I, I actually I think they would be favourites to beat England this weekend. I think they'll be favourites by. I mean, I don't know enough about the Australian team which are putting out. I don't watch. I haven't watched Super Rugby. I'm not. I'm not 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 up to date with it. But you know, from what I hear from my Australian friends, they're not as. I don't think that they'll be as as competitive. I, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if England win two one. What sense do you get, Phil? So I follow a bit of Super Rugby, but mostly my. Uh, beloved Hurricanes, um, who lost to the Brumbies. Which, and the Brumbies were the only team that, that really did much, um, only sorry, Australian team that really did much um, this year. I looked through the, the Australia squad that I've got in front of me. There's a few good players that I know of, and there's a few highly talented individuals in that team, like Corabetti or Vunivalu or Karevi um, or P- Pattaya. Who are just outrageously talented individuals, but whether they they've got enough up front, and whether they've got enough experience. So, without knowing a huge amount, it probably feels like England are slight favourites going into this. I hear you, but this, this is one interesting thing which I can't believe I'm saying about an English team. But I, the forwards is where I have the most concerns with England. Mm. Why so? so? Well, look back at look back at that 2016. Side and I, I worry at tighthead. I yep. worry at lock. Unbelievable, yeah. There is a. I mean, Billy Vanapolo, if he can translate his club form, but actually, there's an issue at number in in the back row now. At issue at number eight is it Curry, and how does that change the way you play? Or do you go Billy V? And he hasn't done it at international level for a while. There's just there's there's big question marks, and particularly the tight, particularly the front five, England is a team, you ask anyone who knows anything about rugby and you go, what are you going to get if you play against England? Oh, they're going to be a horrible front five who, yeah. are, going to, who are going to have a really good set piece. I, don't, I just don't think we're going to have that. Well, I mean, you can... only... on, of, of, of the front five, tight head, I agree with you. Because um, you've got Will Stewart, who's played in that Bath team. Uh, you've got Joe Hayes, who's talented, but young and inexperienced. And you've got Schickling, who could be amazing in three or four years' time. Yeah, he's played 18 <laughs> Premiership yeah, games. Now, just on, just on Shickland, right? This feel, and he's Namibian. Yeah, well, this feels to me like he's the English... Hang on, let me guess right. He is the English Thomas Francis. <laughs> and I mean that with a lot of respect, actually. So, uh, Thomas Francis was picked up by Wales. He's a big lad. Nobody thought he was ready. Turns out to be one of the best tight heads in the world. And when he first started playing, I mean, he was doing things like surfing over the top of scrums. He was getting lifted up. His work rate wasn't any good. He was terrible. Like Legitimately, for an international player, you can say he was terrible. And he improved and improved and improved and got to where he is, partly because of his size, you know, partly because of hard work, yada, yada, yada. I see a lot of parallels with Schickling. And it's no, it's, no coincidence, I don't think, that they've come, both come through Exeter. The the irony of this is they would not take England did not take that same risk with Francis because I think Francis would have been a tight head for England had they have given him as much time as development time and development as Wales had. I wonder if they've learned their lesson with that and they're looking at this Shikling and they think right if we don't cap him now he might have a, a, a South African grandmother somewhere 
or you know might go and play for Namibia. And I th- wonder if it's a, a bit of a pull and a bit of push, a bit of they don't want to lose him, and also, well, we don't really have a tight head, and look what happened to Tom- look what happened to Thomas Francis. Yeah, it's clear that they're trying to bring more tight heads into into the squad because obviously Sinclair, as we mentioned before, unavailable, not touring. They've got those three guys that we've mentioned, and they've also had in in these squads three other um, tight heads. So Eddie could have a look at them in Trevor Davidson, who was in the Six Nations and before Will Collier, who's been in excellent form for Quinns, yeah, and B. Allo as well, who's been in good form for Wasps. So they. They're looking at a lot of tight heads, it's a, and it's yeah. Schickling is the guy who's made it on tour, um, who evidently has impressed the most. Yeah, um, just on the front five, I mean, there is a strong possibility that forty uh, percent of the front five could be made up of Bath players. And I'm not being funny; that is not acceptable. So you could have Will Stewart at tight head, who I think is a great player, and then you could have Charlie Yules in the second row. And the reason I think this is unacceptable is. I think international mindset has to be a winning mindset. That's why I would personally go with Joe Hayes because he's a premiership champion. There is something to be said about that. And I just think it's a better option than having two guys who are basically losers for the entire season. And I mean that literally, yeah. just literally the, losers. The most likely selection is Johnny Hill. Uh, he'll be ahead in the pecking order. He's not played very much this season. No. And at England level, he's had some good games, but he's not, again... There's there's a, there's a huge hole been left by George Cruz, which hasn't been filled because Joe Launchbury's been injured. And he looked like he was going to be that man. He hasn't stayed fit long enough. So I, I I don't know if I'm not wouldn't be tempted to go Courtney Laws and have the back row with Billy V and the Kamikaze brothers. Yeah, well, just well, yeah. again, I don't want to have a you know, much as I respect Sam Underhill. I think he's one of the best players in the Premiership. Maybe one of the best players in England when he's playing well. Can't have bath players. I, I, I'm not. That's not me being humorous. You just can't do it. <laughs> okay. Just, just, just sticking with the front five as well. The point I was going to make was um, three tight head question marks. The other positions, with the exception of um, Charlie Yules, I think has a nice mix of kind of uh, and and um, Hooker and uh, Lou said proper a great example of this. You have the prime guy, the guy who's in the prime of his career, a slightly older guy and a slightly younger guy coming through. Mm. And and the two the two examples of that. So Hooker, Hooker and Lou said prime guy Ellis and Ellis Genge and Luke Cowan Dickey. They are prime of their careers. The slightly older guys would be Mako and Jamie George mm-hmm. and the the younger guys coming through Bevan Rod and Jack Walker. Oh, fair. Interesting it, interesting those Newcastle guys must be going like what what did we do? Like Jack Walker's come out of nowhere. What what did we do? And then there was uh, Jack Singleton before that. Now, Jack Singleton is one I think is unlucky. Because I think Jack Singleton should be looked at more closely. His throwing in this year has been excellent. Gloucester's line-out has been excellent. A lot of it is due to him. Teams defend differently when Jack Singleton's playing. They'll say, oh, uh, Sacchino's throwing in. We'll stack the front. Uh, Singleton's playing. Well, we stack the front. We know that that, that he can hit the back. And it's a real, real challenge for teams to play against Jack Singleton. He knows some of the boys from Saracens too. He obviously knows how to hit um, people like Mario Toji, who he's played with in the past. I think he's an important admission, actually. Well, he'd be number three anyway, so I suppose it's largely immaterial. But that that number three spot's clearly up for grabs. But um, yeah, that's a good point you make, Phil. It's a good point on mm. the on the balance. I quite like it. 
Um, and, and, and second row does it has it not quite as well, but if you if you count Courtney as a as a primary sec- option for second row, you've got Marrow, Johnny Hill, Courtney Laws, and then the younger guys, Ollie Chesham and Nick Ezekwe, with then the massive question mark over Charlie Ewells. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I do think this England team as well has got a lot of tools, but not very many complete players. So I'm not sure if there's many lads in there who you'd say that guy is definitely getting into a world team of the year. But they do have some really interesting players. So if you want to change it up completely, Bevan Rod is one of the most unusual players in maybe in world rugby, actually. I don't know of a prop who... I mean, when you watch him for sale, shark, for sale Sharks, and this could be an indictment on Sale Sharks, to be fair, but he's legitimately one of the most exciting players on, on the park. Very rare you see that from a tight head. Sorry, loose head. Um, Ellis Genge is quite exciting, but in a sort of different way. Uh, you know, Ellis Genge is a great runner, runner of the ball. Bevan Rogers seems to move it very well. He's El- great El- Ellis Genge up against uh, Tui, uh, Tui, Tui, no, not Tui Tupu. Uh, Taniella Tupu. Taniella Tupu. That is a that, how explosive yeah. is that matchup? I can't wait for that. I, I think uh, yeah, I, you know, think you know. I just said that who would get who would be a world player? Maybe Alex Gendwood, maybe because mm, he wouldn't get in. The, he wouldn't be starting, but yeah, he'd be in the mix. Well, I, do you know what I like? Him? I just don't. Just not scared. Just not in, in no. any way phased by anything. No. You know, the shades of Courtney Laws in the sort of just do, do not step, do not take a step back. Now there are other things to his game which I'd like to see. Passing would be one. Um, but actually, in terms of just being go forward hard, that's kind of what you want from you. In, in terms of people that would be in the conversation for a World 15, whether they would get the nod or not, it would be Tom Curry, Courtney Laws, Mario Itoji. Mario, uh, Mario was El- the one. Ellis Genge. So that, that's four four in a pack that would be in the conversation, definitely. Yeah, Mario's the only one of that lot who, who you'd say is complete. So like, I, I love Courtney Laws, right? Yeah. But it's just not that big. So... Oh. But he, he carries like he's, he's a big man and he tackles yeah, like he's yeah, a big man. But I need more it depends what position he's yeah, playing. Yeah, so six, he is big. But then yes. six, he's not the complete He's not the complete six, is he? Because you know there are other guys. Mind you, six, you can't be a complete six because there's a range of ways to play it. So he's yeah. a complete six at what he does. But he there ma- are other ma- ways to do it. He matched up well and looked good against PSTD. So he'd be another one of the contenders or would be the standout contender. Well, if he's fit, he might be the best player on the planet. Yes, quite. Stop. Agreed. Uh, and mm. then, in, then in the back line, is there any that would be in the conversation? You see, years ago we would have had you would have said Owen Farrell would be in the conversation, and Johnny May would be in the conversation. Um, I think I think Faz is definitely in the conversation. I think he's still in the conversation. Uh, Marcus Smith is in the conversation, although the, be- the best is two flyoffs in the world are. And we um, he's not a good player for England, is he? Not yet, no. And actually, let me just jump to an email here from Patrick Barnes. Contact Chasers at gmail.com. He says, uh, hey, lads, love the pod, blah, blah, blah. In the wake of Danny Kerr's England call-up, it got me thinking why Eddie Jones has picked him now to be in the squad when he, we, can all, we can all agree his top form hasn't really changed over the past year or two. I think Eddie Jones has realised Danny is the missing piece of the puzzle to unlock England's attack. Eddie obviously knows Marcus Smith is the future of the number 10 jersey, but the attack hasn't really been running smoothly with him at the helm where in, in the way it has at Quinn's. I think Eddie now knows he needs Danny and Marcus to let the England attack fly. This could mean Danny comes on, comes in just for this summer or even the, the World Cup, but I think he's brought him in not just on form, but on how much he can influence Marcus Smith. Who mm. wrote that email? Uh, Pat Barnes. Pat Barnes. Patrick, br- Patrick you're, Barnes. You're a brilliant mind. I, I wonder the same thing. I wonder if the really great player, the generationally great player, was the guy they always had in Danny Kerr, but 
Marcus Smith has got all the plaudits for it. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that is right. I think that is a, a very astute read um, of it. And hope I, I, I hope we see that. I hope we see Care starting the first test with Marcus Smith um, outside him. And I hope they work some magic. But just to play devil's advocate here, if you're a coach and you like your system, and you know, that, you've got to remember, coaches are very arrogant uh, because, of course, it has to be about them. Otherwise, why are they there? Right, so they you know, they have to have their fingerprints all, all over things. Would you really trust your system to Danny Kerr and Marcus Smith? I mean, I think Quinns do it very well. They sort of turn it over to those boys to do their thing, and that's kind of how it all works. But if you really want them to play a certain way, and you like your Ben Youngs putting up box kicks and Owen Farrell, you know, clever territorial um, battles which he's winning, are you really comfortable with saying? Danny, Marcus, go do your thing. Well, two things I'd say on that, and I'd, I'd love to hear what Phil thinks, but I'll just just very briefly, I'll say two things. Uh, firstly, Eddie Jones has said how he wants to evolve the way England play, number one, although I do think a kicking game is massively important to win a World Cup. It, it has proved to be the case all along. The second point would be that I think quite often, because he can do the real flashy stuff, both of them, both of them in fact, they, they probably get overlooked how much of the nuts and bolts they can do. Yeah, undoubtedly they can. But will they? Yeah. And and I'd I'd say um, Eddie Jones, I'd, the fact that he's changed up his um, coaches so many times, <laughs> um, including his attack coach, and we've got Martin Gleeson at the moment doing that role. But we've, he's maybe the sixth or seventh in se- six or seven years. Um, I don't think um, Eddie has shown he has an issue of changing things up and playing in slightly different ways. And certainly, he has expressed his opinion that England uh, the game is evolving and England need to play differently if they're going to be successful at the next World Cup which is obviously played in France in September well, of next year what does an attack coach do other than facilitate the things that Owen Farrell wants because I, I honestly believe that, that there is an element of that you can only do so many things if Owen Farrell is there I, I wouldn't well that is probably exactly the reason that Danny Cipriani didn't work out for England because you don't really want Danny Cipriani running the attack because Owen Farrell wants to run the attack. Even if he's at 12, he wants to run the run the attack. So there is some dynamics in the England team which you've got to be aware of when you're trying to change change things. Although when England looked really good against South Africa... When Danny played. It was when... No, 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 last, last year. Oh, uh, not the tour. It was when Marcus Smith was effectively out, out, out the back door. Owen Farrell was the man taking the ball in the 10 position and offloading to a forward and Marcus Smith was the man out the back door. Yeah, do you do you believe that that is a thing that works if your second receiver is also a 10? Why bother? Saracens do it much more. Saracens, that's how they play much the, the, more. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's the difference there? The difference is, right, that Brad Barrett was the master at this. He'd start the first receiver and give it. Um, Nick Tompkins again. The big difference is those. I mean, Brad Barrett would go forward, so you've always got to worry about Brad Ford. Brad Ford, Brad Barrett, Brad Barrett's running all over you. That'd be one thing. And Nick Tompkins can dance away, and he's a real, real running threat. But when you've got two lads, I mean, ultimately, wouldn't you think the best first receiver would be Marcus Smith because of his running threat, giving it to Owen Farrell rather than Owen Farrell giving it to Marcus Smith? Cause, no, because the first like arrowhead again. This is Phil should be answering this, so I'll I'll shut up very quickly. But the the you have three players in like a triangular formation, and and the diamond point, the fourth point of that diamond is Marcus Smith at the back. Yeah, but what's, and the whole point is to 
keep the defence honest and keep them tight up front with the decoy runners, and then Marcus Smith does have the space yeah, to, to do all the, the things Is the tip of that diamond dangerous? That's what I'm asking you. No, the tip of the diamond is... What's it for? Is to to bludgeon its way through if it needs to. Because that's not Owen Farrell. No, no, it? but he offloads to one of the forwards either side of him. Or, quite often it's a forward in that position. Um, or, now we're talking. Or uh, to just be a decoy to hold the defence. Yeah. So, is that a fair assessment, Phil? Yeah, I'd say so. And with, with Marcus Smith, it's the way that they seem to be using it, and they, they do this with Esther Hazen at Quinn's incredibly well, um, is to have have that running threat, as you say, and then pull back so that Marcus Smith has a bit more time with then multiple options and the defence is a little bit um, staggered or, or misaligned, shall we say. But that's so, almost exactly what I'm saying. I... Esther Hazen is an enormous running threat. So if you're like, oh, well, mm. you know, Esther Hazen's going to pass it, no need to worry about his running threat, and then, you know, he locks onto you, you're dead. So you've got to always, like, Manu would be great for that, Brad Barrett was great for it, Tomkins is good for it, Esther Hazen's exceptional at it, I imagine Jamie Roberts would be good for it. Do two tens work, though? And that's, what the, you know, with Ford and Farrell working that, not really, because you're not that, I mean, Owen Farrell can crash the ball, sure, not really the best use of his talents. Uh, no, but, but do you know? Do you know? Scare you, does it? Do you know what does scare you? It should scare you, and I think Owen Farrell's good enough that it does scare people. Is that if there's a little chink in the in the armor defensively, right there and then, if there's a little pop that can just put a player through, Owen Farrell will spot it and put mm-hmm. a player in. There's some excellent forwards at doing that. I mean, they are. I'd actually argue that forwards now are getting to a level with their short handling skills. They're just you know, not as good as flyovers, but they're very, very good at it because that's all. So, the, it's all that they practice running in pairs. And, and some of them, so um, some of the best forwards, uh, Jamie George and Michael Vanapola are brilliant at it. Yeah. And they're, they're also brilliant at the disguise. So when they carry the ball, you don't know if they're going to pass it or carry it. They, they shape to do effectively both things at the same time. And now JB and I were watching the final, um, the premiership final the other week, having a beer. And one man who is totally telegraphed as to whether he's going to carry <laughs> yeah. One guy or particular. pop it, Genji. Genji, you know immediately, immediately. He can't shape to do anything but but carry or anything but but pass. They are just so, so different. Courtney Laws is exceptional at this. Just he's carrying good. and giving, carrying and giving, really good. I tell you, there's another way to do it as well. George Ford does it. George Ford always looks... So, a lot of guys try to pretend to run and then give it. George Ford always looks like he's about to pass it and then runs. So yeah. there, there's multiple ways to do it. But yeah, I, I don't disagree it creates space for Marcus Smith. And I think Marcus Smith with any additional time is going to be a more dangerous Marcus Smith. I just don't know if it's the right option when you've got two tens. You want to be mm. moving someone in who is a direct running threat. Um, yeah, I I quite like it. I quite like the two of them because it's, there is more. Farrell can crash up a ball. He's not. He's not an Esther Hazen, but how many on the planet are there? There's maybe three or four guys yeah. who are as good as him on the planet. And there's uh, no. And there's no English player that you'd rather put in that position at, at the minute, anyway. Well, it would be Nick Tompkins if he wasn't Welsh. <laughs> um, but he does have a lot more to his game, and I. Yeah. I'd like. To, I would like to see those two because I. I think that the times under Eddie that England have played the best is when Farrell and Ford have been combining Correct. and that is a a, a similar um, pairing to Smith and Farrell agreed 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Just looking at Saturday, so your Premier Sports subscription, your £100 game that you had when you watched the final, yep. uh, you can actually halve it. If you can make it, a, well, actually, you can, you can watch the first half of Japan v France before, before New Zealand Island comes on. That's, ph- that's phenomenal. So Great yeah, news. Japan France is on that, so that's, you can, that's turned into a £50 game. And if, yes. you, if you record New Zealand or uh, Ireland, when the Japan France game's finished, you can just fast forward through all the rubbish, all the conversions, and, and yeah, yeah. all the many conversions that New Zealand will have. No, I disagree. No, I actually, I actually do disagree with you as well. I think Ireland are going to be. You disagree with me disagreeing, or you no, disagree with I, your original? Co- I was being, point. I was being glib and flippant deliberately, but I actually do think it's going to be a very competitive series. That, yeah, because New Zealand are not the New Zealand that, that have won that won two World Cups. That they will be back there, and they have some incredible players, and they're at home where their island have never beaten them there, have they? I don't know. Is that right? They, they, they beat them in Chicago, and they beat and them, they beat in, them in, in Dublin, but they've never—I don't think they've ever beaten them yeah. in New Zealand. So, they've, yeah, and, and have won two games in a hundred plus years. Wow, wow. So here's how I—I I mean, this is my initial take on the island tour. Irish rugby fell to pieces at the end of the season. Uh, the machine that is Leinster was not fit for its purpose, not not fit for purpose, uh, because it lost two finals. Uh, not good enough. So, um, oh, sorry, a semi-final and Semi. a final. Yeah. Pathetic. Um, so, those boys are going to be raging and good to go. And, unlike the England team, they've got minutes under their belts um, left, well, le- left to play with. So, not only... I mean, then they won't be going to... They won't be going to New Zealand thinking, oh, God, this is just the extended part of our season. This is their season. This is why they are at Leinster. This is why they don't play as many games as they should do. This, the whole thing is built for this. So mentally and physically, I'd imagine they're in a much better place than the England team are right now. Don't underestimate the size of the challenge, but I do think that Ireland, of all of the home nations, are in the best position to hopefully do well. And when you look at... when you, And just to conversely, I think international level... Experience at half backs, settled back line, and a pretty horrible front row. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be decent. Although you might say that some of their key guys are not particularly on form. Ty, well, Ty Furlong hasn't looked the in, the same force that he has done in recent years, but he's still. They've got plenty. They've, they've got, got plenty, plenty in the locker, and they're very cohesive. They know each other well. I think they'll give. I hope that they give New Zealand a torrid time. 
I it's hard to know. I mean, it's kind of asking. It's kind of like asking what what's better, typhoid or polio? Like, which team do you want to win this series? And whoever wins it will then take the mantle of the most smug rugby nation on the planet. <laughs> so it's very hard to like either of these teams. But I slightly like Ireland more than I sl- than New Zealand. I, I think New Zealand are definitely going to win it. Um, I just think I think Ireland will get some positive things out of the tour because um, it. They are to to add to the the stuff you mentioned before about how Ireland will be uh, more confident and optimistic than England. Look at look at their Six Nations. The last time they played, I know they um, lost to France, but they were the second best team by uncomfortably uh, the second best team. Yeah, that's fair. They are they are in really really good form. It's just a shame it's eighteen months out from a World Cup. <laughs> Almost so, too perfect. So you see enough. Yeah. Uh, you see plenty of New Zealand rugby. I'm trying to. Uh, I was looking at this going. I, I'm not sure who what their back row is going to be, New Zealand, because they're in sort of a bit of a period of a period of evolution in certain positions, and their their back row, which has always been a massive part of. And when you think back to New Zealand teams that have done really well, okay, they, when they had the McCaw, Reed, and Soealu, and and or or uh, Jer- Jerry Kano. Collins and Kano, Kano. and um, whereas I don't know who's going to play in the back row. Who is Because Papa Lee was it was like named captain, wasn't he? And was he? Yeah, Dalton. It was Dalton Papa Lee, and then you got Satutu and um... yeah. So Hoskins Satutu, very very talented. Um, Akira Yuan has been playing some nice stuff. Uh, my boy Ardi Surveyor, just he, he has to play six, seven, or eight because he's so amazing. You can play him in any of those positions, and he's absolutely amazing. Um, Sam Kane. Back in the squad, of course. Um, who will probably be involved somewhere? But yeah, I, I don't. Honest answer is I don't know. No. Um, it, it, for me, it'd be interesting to see what they do with uh, Monga and George, and Bowden Barrett. Mm. If they push, um, so you can see almost like a reshuffling of the deck to accommodate the talent that they've got, because. I think Monga is the form 10 and has been for the last few years. Mm. But you've got to play Bowden Barrett, so that means Bowden Barrett goes to 15. But you've also got to play Will Jordan. Yeah. And that means Will Jordan goes to the wing. And you've also got to play Geordie Barrett because they're all just too talented not to play. So Jordan Barrett, Geordie Barrett will probably go to 12, which is where he's been playing a little bit. And then you're shifting around all of these hyper, hyper talented players into not necessarily their best position and not necessarily the position that they play most frequently. So I'm not I'm not quite sure how they square that circle and how it's going to work work out. Yeah, it's either going to be brilliant or disastrous, isn't it? Uh, yes. There's and not I, really much in between. Yeah, but disastrous for New Zealand is not winning every game by 20 points. Yeah. Like that, that is disastrous for New Zealand and... Based on that standard, the last couple of years have been disastrous for them. Yeah, that's fair. It's... Um, if if I don't know whether these guys are going to play, but um, two immensely powerful uh, wingers are Caleb Clark, who plays for JB's beloved oh, Blues. Yes, freakish and, talent. And Lester Fayanga Anuku, who plays for the Crusaders, who is a big, strong boy. Yeah, he's a BSB. He, he is supremely powerful so i'd i'd love to see those boys play so um, have i got this right again my knowledge of super rugby is poor joe smith is the blues coach right 
Joe Smith. Joe, Joe Smith? Is it not um, the former fullback McDonald? I thought Joe Leon, S- Leon McDonald. I Leon thought McDonald. Joe, Joe Smith had a consulting role or something with the Blues. He might. You might need to check that. Yeah, he might do. He might have gone back to New Zealand. Yeah, and the other one would be, what's Warren Gatlin's involvement in New Zealand rugby at the moment? He's the head coach of the Chiefs, isn't he? He is, yeah. Yeah. He was involved at the Chiefs, Chiefs, I think. So I'm not sure his latest position. The reason that I bring these guys up is because, from a tactical point of view, you've got two of the architects who... Well, responsible for so much of what we know about uh, Northern Hemisphere rugby, particularly you know the way that Wales played for so long under Warren Ball and you know, the evolution of the Irish team, which, although they've got talented players, did go through a period of being incredibly formulaic. These guys, amazingly, are back in a rugby nation now, which plays some of the most fluid rugby on earth. And I wonder if it'll be their tactical now feeding through to the New Zealand coaches about what... Northern Hemisphere teams do and the legacy that they've left, which will give them a huge tactical advantage. I, I think that would be good wisdom to tap into. Uh, I wouldn't mind betting that such is the the pressure the Fozzie's been under and also the competitiveness for that head coach role that he would not want to take any advice from Warren yes. Gatland Game or Thrones. Joe Schmidt. Hi, Warren here. Hang up. Yeah. Game over. So I've just looked up. So Leon McDonald is the head coach of the Blues, but Joe Schmidt is, he's an all-black selector, is his involvement now. Uh, okay. I knew, I knew he's something somewhere along the lines. But yeah, that's a hell of a lot of now. I mean, independent to your immense amount of coaching talent, you've brought two of the most successful Northern Hemisphere coaches, which just happens to be your coach, uh, countrymen, back into New Zealand rugby. I mean, talk about uh, uh, intel- in, uh, intellectual capital. Yeah, that's it's fairly handy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. To bring the bring those boys along. What do you know about Andy Farrell? Yeah, I taught him everything. <laughs> <laughs> so to reiterate, you've got Japan France seven AM if you have Premier Sports. So um, Which I do. Cheers. Will you be up? No, I'll be in Grand Canaria, uh, so I don't think oh, I should yeah. know if I can watch it. Uh, New Zealand v Island eight oh five. And Australia England ten fifty five AM. Then a bit of a gap, which is annoying because Spain are now not playing Italy. I don't know why, but that game was cancelled. Oh, really? Is it? Yeah. That's what I'm so, looking at here. I mean, it could just be the BBC website. So that that's interesting because uh, Spain and Italy both had games this weekend. Italy narrowly beat Portugal with a yeah. last-minute try. Well, Near- two, yeah. two tries in the last 10 minutes to come back from 31-24 down to win the game, which is which is very good for Portugal um, to, to be pushing um, an Italy team that that contained a lot of their big names. Um, Except for Garbisi, who was winning uh, top 14. Correct. But they had the, um, the oh, I can't remember his name, uh, Capuoso. Oh, yeah. Rugby Pixie at fullback, who's going to Toulouse. Um, and they had uh, Lamore, the, the captain, and they had Brex at outside, and they had uh, Padovani playing. They had, they had a good team. So for Portugal to push them that close is brilliant. And Spain, unfortunately, lost. They were beaten fairly handily by the Barbarians. Yeah, with Tom Wood taking two conversions, by the way. Not a backhill, though. <laughs> um, just on that Spain game, did either of you see, it's a, it's a little while ago now, but we never talked about it, 
Um, did either of you see Spain versus the classic All Blacks that happened just after the Six Nations this year? Massive crowd. Mm. Massive crowd. Madrid, uh, 40,000 or 50,000 people. I don't know. Did, did you, you obviously I didn't see any of the game. I saw some photos. And I, saw, I knew the crowd was big and I saw little snippets here and there. It looked a great occasion. It looked a great occasion. Now, it's, it's a bit weird because... The Classics All Black team are, they're all retired All Blacks, ranging from late 30s to late 40s, against the Spain team, the current Spain team that is hoping to be in a World Cup. And the Classic All Blacks won fairly comfortably. Yeah. Which which is a bit of a sad indictment of uh, the lower level rugby tier two rugby, I guess. Yeah. And it's, the classic All Blacks, it included guys who aren't even All Blacks. <laughs> like who? Well, for example, guys that played for other nations. So Census Johnson, Johnston, for example, or um, Isaac Boss, or... Oh, God! Your, your, your mate, JB, Dean Budd. Yeah, there's nothing classic at all, all, um, all Blacks uh, um, about those boys. Although, I would say Dean Budd was captain of Italy. And Census Johnson, I mean, I mean, come on, Census Johnson. I, I know, I know, they're, they're fine players, but they're, they're just not all blacks. But it did also include some absolutely class all blacks who were still fairly handy, like um, the likes of Christmas Oe, Stephen Donald, Jose Gay, Rico Gay, Conrad Smith, all playing, Rudy Wolf, Luke McAllister. Luke so McAllister. They had, a, they had a few handy boys in there. Like it. But yeah, it just... It's, it is a bit weird to, to think that a these guys, some of whom haven't played for five years or certainly not played at the top level for five years, can just dust their boots off and still beat, I don't know what, a top 20 ranked international team. Yeah, that is pretty mad, isn't it? It's crazy, yeah. Oof. So we don't have Spain-Italy to look forward to, um, unless we do, and I'm just reading that wrong. Anyway, and then um, five past four, South Africa v Wales. Which mm. I'm kind of with you, Phil. I I fear. I well, fear. I fear something ugly there. Wasn't it me that said, said that rather than Phil? Yeah, it was you, JB. Actually, I, I agree well, with you, JB. I think that could be quite ugly. Although Sam, okay, but... Sam Warburton's very upbeat about Wales' chances. Thinks they're gonna. Jesus. Thinks they're gonna give them a real good crack. No, they're not. They I might get... in the first test. You know, it might be semi kind of competitive. It's gonna go downhill massively after that. Yeah. Massively. Ag- agreed. Which um, yeah, it happens, doesn't it? And then what? What time does um, Argentina Scotland kick off? Ten past eight. It's not like a midnight one. It's a it's a pre pub, not a post pub or a mid pub. Mid pub. Yeah. <laughs> JB, you will definitely be able to find an Irish bar in Gran Canaria. There's nothing but Irish bars in Gran Canaria. So that'll be ten past ten. Yeah, uh, local time I, there. What oh no, Gran, Gran Canaria is uh, same time as the UK. Oh, is it? Yeah, because it's off. Oh, it's, it's off the off. coast of Africa, isn't it? Wait West a second. Coast of Africa. I, it, Are you sure about that? But it's Spanish. No, it's Spanish It'll be in the time. Spanish time time zone, won't it? They take Spanish time. Maybe. Portugal take our time. Spain takes... So in the, the summer, is it one hour or two hours? <sighs> Asking the wrong guy. I, I don't know. My, my one time a year, it's two hours, and one time a year, it's one hour. Yeah, I'll just see what happens when my phone updates. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. yeah, you'll be able to watch Argentina v Scotland if you so choose. Who are fans playing, by the way? It uh, does, Japan. Oh. So Gran, Gran Canaria is on UK time. Oh, there what? you go. Yeah, it's currently eight minutes to ten 
in Gran Canaria. Oh, oh yeah, there's eight minutes ten. Right. There you go, nailed it, nailed it, Phil. Yes. Once again, you've nailed it. So is is the uh, the time zones are done on lat uh, on um, east west, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, latitude. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, um, it's it's off the west coast of West Africa. Yeah, one of the most enjoyable things about Gran Canaria is uh, the Spanish Air Force fly their well, used to fly their F-18s out there. So when you um, go to the airport, you can watch the F-18s take off. It's good fun, isn't it? Where my mum is in Greece, the the, the Greek uh, Air Force sometimes the, the, fly the, there. Sorry, sorry to correct you. I don't want to correct. It's embarrassing. The Hellenic Air Force, but please continue. The, the Hellenic Air Force. Yeah, they have a they have a base in Kalamata, and what are they flying? Occasionally fly their their like military jets. What are they? What are they flying? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I, but think, I think I think the Greeks fly F sixteens. Very very rarely you get. You, occasionally you get them just zooming down the uh, Iberian. It's cool, not Iberian. It? The uh, uh, not Iberian. That's Spain. It what's, is. What's that's the, Spain and Portugal. Ionian. Yeah. Ionian uh, Peninsula. Just... Is that what hell play? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Uh, good uh, good fighter chap. Uh, Cass beat Montpellier oh no they didn't they lost to Montpellier right right so, so here's a question go on. here's a question um, Zach Mercer was described by I can't remember who described him um, by someone we know and we sort of agreed with this Zach, oh, yes, Zach Mercer this. is a, is a, a fair weather eight no no no, 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 better, no. better than that a peacetime eight a peacetime eight that's it <laughs> he's the kind of guy that when you're when you've got seven other guys putting the opponents through a meat grinder, he can look incredible. But when you need someone to roll up the sleeves and actually be that guy get it done. To, to get it done, even when things aren't going well for you, he, he's, he can be anonymous. Was this, was this a peacetime eight performance or is, has he shown that he's got way more in his locker than we previously thought he had? It's, it's, it's well, been a massive success for him, that's for sure. It's a good question. It's a good question because this is not a small Montpellier team. And isn't it a story as old as time that... English player who's unfancied over here goes over to France, becomes an absolute superstar there. Then everyone starts going, "Why is he not playing for England?" And which which are the positions that we said that we had a, a bit of a question mark about? Tight head lock eight. And eight. here he is. Here he is. And when it, we were all talking about Steph Armitage, what was it? Where's the seven? Uh, so story's old as time, sadly. Uh, yeah. So uh, on that story's old as time. There is there is a rule that the further away from England someone is playing, the better they look. So <laughs> yeah. when, when Matt when Matt Simons was playing for the Chiefs in uh, in New Zealand, everyone was saying, "Call him up to England." They were, wanted to make him captain, didn't they? At one point, yeah. Immediately, he'll be anointed captain on the flight back home. <laughs> and Brad then Shields, yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll walk he'll walk down the British Airways steps in a suit of armour and a sword. Brad Shields played for England before he played for Wasps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's ridiculous isn't it, in hindsight. And but to be fair to Brad Shields, he has had an outstanding international career since. Like, he's the first name on the team sheet, you know, week in, week out. Yeah, ridiculous. Uh, so so there's that that rule, of course. And then, Tim, to answer your question... Would it would a peacetime eight um, grubber kick to set up the first try for winger Arthur Arthur Vincent? I don't think so. It's a great point. Would a peace, would a peacetime eight kick? Yes, he would. I'll tell you who wouldn't kick. <laughs> uh, is it Stefan? I want to say Stefan. Stefan Roos. 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 Evan Roos. Evan Roos. That's the one. There's loads Evan of YouTube Roos. videos we've made of Evan Roos now. Uh, he will not. His highlights oh, montage. Oh, oh, oh. 
People, this, there's a lot of people getting excited about him the way that oh. we were all excited about Sebastian Chabal. Yeah, yeah. Like making montage videos on YouTube. Do you know, do you know who I think he is? I think he's the PS Speece who is good. He's a good <laughs> PS Speece. God, that, that guy that, is, I love this guy. That might be a good comparison, actually. PS Speece who knows how to play rugby. Yeah. Is Evan Roos, is he in the Springbok squad? Yes, he, he is. is. He is? He is. Who, yeah. Good Lord. Because there's a change in the guard in their back row as well, a little bit. If, you've got... if you're changing Stefan Roos, you know, I mean, it's an upgrading of the guard. Legitimately. Evan. Evan. Evan, Evan sorry. Um, but yeah, Vermaelen is, is not in the squad. So Roos has got the opportunity to make the eight shirt his own. I think he will. In terms of pure rugby specimens, PS Beast, forget how he plays... He's one of the greatest rugby specimens, just pure well, okay. physical specimens I can't, ever. I can't let you get away with that, Tim, because if you get about, forget about how they play, who was the Polish strongman that played rugby? Because he'd be number one. <laughs> Mar- Marius Pudzinowski. Yeah, didn't, um, didn't Brian, someone or other, play a, char- a charity game? So we can't... Did Brian Shaw play a charity game? Brian Shaw's um, the American. Yeah, not so, Brian Shaw. Terry Holland. Terry, Terry Holland. Holland. Quinn's. Uh, he, he played. No, he played proper. He was actually a rugby player God. before strongman. I played for Llandudno a few. No, I tell you what it was. It was last autumn. I played for Llandudno, just like a friendly against Real. And the guy that Llandudno were propping against, I wasn't propping that, that, that day. Was like, I think he was ex strongest man in Wales. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's, he's like forty something now. Thought bloody hell, that that is. That is a challenge to prop against the, one of the strongest men in Wales. Gareth, uh, Gareth Delve's dad. Gareth Delve's dad, yes. He was, he was the former Wales, strongest man in Wales. No, he was Mr. Universe, or maybe he did both, actually. Or maybe he did both. I mean, yeah, no, they, they can overlap, can't they? Gareth Delve, at one point, was one of my favourite rugby players. Yeah, me too. Me too. Brilliant player. And I, I was very fortunate to see him as a, as a Bath under 21. So I was, I was living in Bath at uni there, and he was in the under 21s team. And so... I forget how it go- went for him. He was Bath, but finished in Gloucester. Did he start in Bath? Yeah, he started in Bath. He had just ridiculous numbers of injuries. But as as a like ni- 18, 19, 20-year-old coming through, he was about as good a person at that age as I have ever seen. Yeah, he's immense, wasn't he? And I remember... Just well, so many injuries. I inter- yeah, Gloucester. He went to Australia, didn't he? He played in Melbourne. He did, and I interviewed him. And the way he described his Melbourne experience was un- unreal, like superstardom from well compared to playing for Bath, not actual su- su- superstardom. Uh, yeah, really cool player. Good have, you, have you ever heard of a guy called uh, Gavin Bilton? Gavin Bilton? No, I haven't. If you if you watch World's Strongest Man, he's been there or thereabouts, as in to qualify for the finals for the last few years. He's a Welsh. Um, Second was a second row. Does he have a brother? Played Welsh Premiership. I yes, yes, I do know the guy you mean. I know a uh, big mop of hair. Yeah, big curly mop of hair. Um, he was in the military, and then converted to strongman in his kind of late twenties. And I, I've just looked him up. He he sits at about two hundred and fifteen kilos. My is, goodness, is, is his weight and. The belly on the he's got this enormous. I'm just processing that what you said. Then. The the Jesus the, the gravitational stress his body is under being that big. Just the, the amount the, the force of gravity on him must make him out of breath just walking to the shops. Two hundred fifteen kilos, six six and two hundred fifteen, two hundred fifteen kilos. That is like two Manu Tuilagis. 
I, that's insane. I wonder if you just need one of those at tight head. Just just one of them at tight head. Don't do anything else. And just see where it goes. I mean, uh, can you imagine some rugby boffing can't, can't you? The guy shows up at the club. I'm Sorry, the... mate. You've got to learn the Tower of Power first. Gavin Bilton. The man's ridiculous. My yeah. God. His arms. Yeah, he's, he's a big he, old boy, isn't he? His arm is... His neck's much wider than his head, and his arms... Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, I know the guy. Massive belly on him. He played at... Um... Played yeah. Welsh, Prem, Welsh Premiership for, I think, a few clubs. There's a, there's a picture of him playing at the Millennium Stadium as it was in, like, the, the lower-level cup final. Yeah, well, there was a guy in Wales, and I forget his name now. Uh, and the reason I forget his name is... I was going down a rugby uh, YouTube rabbit hole about five years ago. I can't, uh, he, he definitely played at Cardiff for, for a little while. He might have played at Ponty. And he was an eight. And some of his highlights are just unbelievable. And this guy must have been right at the cusp of playing re- regional rugby. Like, so, Cardiff, so Cardiff Rugby Club rather than Cardiff Blues. Uh, I'd love to know what happened to him. But just incredible highlights. Played for Cavilli. Did he? Yeah, it was, it was like a good good level in Wales. Yeah, decent. Outside of the regions. My God, he's enormous. <laughs> and he wore a forearm guard. Yeah. Yes. You know what he's all about. <laughs> no no question here. Ask questions later. <laughs> uh, right, so, any, anything else happened in the, in the world of rugby? Do you want to just discuss quickly, because it's salary cap related, the interview with... Uh, Anthony Watson this week, which I thought was uh, really interesting. I, did, I didn't see it. What did he say? Well, he's saying that Premiership players are now being punished for being perceived as good. And what he means by that, I guess, is that if you're a good player, you'll get paid less because you'll automatically assume, or it'll automatically be assumed that you're in the England squad. And because of that, they'll say, look, we can't pay you what you're worth. But actually, the England squad isn't picked. And I think he's got a point, actually. You know, you can be a really good player and then go to England, or not go to England. So, you know, if you don't go to England, you've effectively taken a pay cut for being good. So, I, I read it as well. Um, the England squad is, um, they have the senior squad and they have the wider squad, so there's there's only so much turnover in the men's England senior squad per year. Yeah. So there are guys who are just consistently in there, like, um, for example, in this tour... Um, Anthony Watson is mentioned but not named so he's mentioned as he's not been called up because of injuries but he would be in the squad otherwise so there is a level of predictability about it um, but that do- it doesn't necessarily mean he will be called up because he could get dropped and never get called up again but there is a level of predictability about it um, so that players and, and their clubs know who's going to be called up Um but also, it's something we've spoken about considerably, and it's not that it's not that difficult to understand that if you are likely to be unavailable for um, ten games a season, you will be worth less to the club yep. than a player who is as good as you, or almost as good as you, but is available for every single game of the season, thirty games a year. Yeah, I, it is difficult for rugby players. Um, I understand why I think Watson's talking about this now because. As the number is continually banded, up, banded around, there'll be 100 pr- players from this season who will be out of a job next season. I'd be interested to know what the actual turnover would be normally. 
So it might be 100 this year, but it might have been 80 last year. I mean, I just don't know. Mm. There must be natural wastage of lads deciding enough's enough and let's go and do something else. So surely a lot of the lot of that 100 will be falling into that category, but still, uh, not, not a great look. But this is just the rugby market evolving. As the salary cap changes, this is just the new reality that they find themselves in. And in a way, I think it's fairly healthy. I think it's healthy because... You know, Anthony Watson says in there, this change happened really quickly. It was over two years. There's not enough time to plan your future. Well, you should have that ironed out before, personally. You know, you should be... Re- well, depends if you're um, going to take the Tom Wood approach, which is I focus on nothing but rugby. Plan, I have plan A1 and then plan A2. Also, I, I sympathise with that from any professional athlete, but it, I find it less difficult. I find it... Sorry, not less difficult. I find it more difficult to sympathise with that when it's Anthony Watson, when there is a an enormous load of guys who haven't earned as much as Anthony Watson earns in one year well, in their whole career I, who are now on the scrap. I league. believe one of the reasons he's talking about this is because his brother would be in that situation. Right. Yes. So his brother is a classic premiership player who's got some talent, but he's not yeah. a top-end guy, yeah. is he? And I think he sees that. I think he sees that. And he mentions his brother maybe a couple, a couple okay. of times. Like, there's a few guys. Okay, yeah. It'd be all right for me. I'll get a job. But there's a lot of guys. And I actually think it's worse for some of these guys picking up contracts for like 40k I don't mean that for the academy lads if you're on 40k in the academy it's okay because your career is on a certain trajectory which means you'll earn some money don't worry but if you're you know Luther Burrell was talking earlier last week saying that he doesn't want to be underpaid for doing what he does I think that's a real problem I think it's a real problem if you're a senior guy in a rugby club being paid 40 or 50 50k because not only could you be doing something else, you've also got severe injury risk and it must be awful being at the top of your earning powers with your England money and your big club contract and then on the way back down. It, it must be bloody difficult. But I think that yeah. this is the future of rugby. They'll be squeezing so much value out of players now uh, that you know, this will continue to happen. Yeah, and I, I spoke about it um, a few weeks ago. But when, when the pay, uh, salary cut to salary cap cut to 5 million was introduced. There was a statement around it is the ambition of the league and the teams to bring it back up to the level it was at and then continue um, increasing it as they had been doing previously. Now, I hope that's not just empty words and they're not just doing it to kind of unilaterally um, reduce the biggest expense of all the clubs and never bring it back up because... I think it would be sad for the players. I also think it'd be sad for English rugby because they will be less competitive on in Europe and um, on the wider stage if they do Agreed. that. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And I was about to say, in, in the case of Luther Burrell, there's, there's no such thing as being underpaid per se because you find your value, but that has been limited, and so this is where I agree with him, by the salary cap cut. And exactly the point that you just made, Phil, is that I, I said... I was going to say, I hope it's temporary. Yeah, well, yes. I would love to see rugby do a di- something different. And we can play this thought experiment again. I have mentioned it before. But all of the central revenue, all of it should go to the players. Every last penny should go to the RPA. And then when play- when clubs do their contracts, they should pay players not in terms of not in terms of cash, but in salary cap percentage. I just think it'd be a really interesting way to do things. So there'd be no debating how much money there is in the pot for the players. And I wonder if it'd bring all of the um, 
aims of both the clubs and the players to the same place if they're you know co- uh, co- combine their goals because the players will know the more combined income that we can get in the better so the clubs keep the match day receipts or maybe most of the match day receipts and then a little bit to the players but in exchange the players have taken the the entire wage bill off them so if they want the salary cap to go up it can go up but they've got to get the, the salespeople to go out there and sell more commercial rights and i wonder if there'll be a, a much more grown-up d- discussion about what salary cap should be what salary cap rules should be i bet the players would want to instantly limit the amount of players that a team could have i bet that would be you know the, the first thing which i'd do because they'd want more pl- I bet they'd want more money for less players which is completely understandable if you did stuff like that and also i do think potentially it might focus the minds of everyone in their own respective corner into actually doing positive things to sell the game i know rather than self-flagellating and imagine yeah. imagine look we're trying to get money for ourselves here what is this campaign that you're doing today what are you writing on on the toilet mi- on on the toilet mirrors what you think all of your fans are online bullies uh, no i don't think so Rain that in right now. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a very interesting dynamic. I think it'd be a fantastic experiment because not only, I mean, you'd know, wouldn't you, in percentage terms, where the salary cap is going. It'd be amazing. I'd love to see mm. that too. I Yeah, I'd, I'd love... So I, I like the transparency that we got last week with the salary cap report. I'd like more. I'd like more yeah. transparency. I want to know what everyone is earning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and also as a game which struggles for eyeballs. Uh, and, uh, sorry, by the way, uh, you, you can see that. But I was going to say in, relate, in response to Phil, uh, yeah, let's know what everyone's earning. And you know, Phil knows how to work in macros and formulas on his spreadsheet. He'll work out as a percentage what what that equates to for yeah. you. Just let us know. Anyway, sorry, JB. Mm. Yeah, uh, it just it just be awesome. It'd be all- and also it means that our multi-round simultaneous auction would be done on oh, yeah. salary cap percentage rather than cash terms. Imagine that. I, I don't know. Would you exclude salaries for days away with England? Yeah, you'd have the same kind of a similar situation now where it's outside the cap. Yeah. Or, or you get credits for it. Yeah, but if you're 10% of salary cap, say, which would be a, a lot of money, <laughs> it a would lot be. of money, who would be 10%? 10%? Yeah. 10%er. Would be so well, cool, wouldn't well, it? Uh, Harlequins have well, got all that, three of their 10%ers out today. Well, B- Bristol have got four 10% or five 10%ers and then no one else in their squad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the 10 10%ers that Bristol have got are out today. A bit short, <laughs> bit short on the bench. <laughs> Mind you, that, that might be a way for Bristol to go. Actually double down on it and do that and just get a load of local lads from like Dings yeah. Crusaders and old yeah. Bristolians to fill in the gaps and just get 10 unbelievable players and uh, 13 like, average jobbing local plumbers. So back in the day when rugby was the true Wild West, um, I was talking to a Saracens loose head. Was he a tight head? He would have been a tight head actually because... David Flatman would have been the loose head at this time. Um, yeah, so he must have been, been, been a tight head. And he said, like, the Saracens had a certain way where the senior guys would eat at one table and have one lot of food, and the new guys would come in and they just didn't really have anything. And some weeks it was great, and other weeks it wasn't. And you think you'd be doing really well in the team. Christine Califano? No, it wasn't. No, it okay. was not. Anyway. 
Um, and you think you're doing well at the team, and then you get one more game to get your big bonus, and then you were never played again. And then they go and get someone else from Lon- from London League One or what. Or, or whatever it is, or the championship, and then you get replaced. And they just do this with the guys who weren't the highly paid guys. Everything else in Saracens was just on a continued conveyor belt trying to cut costs, trying to find money for Tim Horan or something. <laughs> Love it. Crazy, isn't it? I've just seen an email we've got, um, and it's about the MLR final. Did you see you won the MLR final? Um, I did. I'm pretty sure it was New York because I'm really up to date with my MLR. It was Rugby New York. Congratulations. Yes, they beat Seattle it. in the final. A uh, positive end after the that, the, the ridiculous uh, pantomime of the Gilgronies and the Giltinis. Still don't know the ins and outs of no, that. No, we don't. No, we no. don't. But well done to Rugby New York. Uh, and, and hello to Carl Shannon. Uh, thank you very much for your email. Contact edchasers at gmail.com. He says, uh, hey, gents, I just wanted to let y'all know. So I think Carl is a is, is a bona fide American right there. Yeah, by the way, y'all, every time someone say, says y'all, I just... Think of the awesome Tammy Taylor. Tammy Taylor. Oh, Connie stop Britton. It. Stop it. See, that was when the two times... Um, have you watched Friday Night Lights, Phil? Hello, Phil? Where's he gone? Never mind. Don't worry about that. Oh, he's disappeared. Don't worry. That's, that's fine. We could that's do, fine. do 15 minutes on Tammy Taylor. before. Oh, 100% oh. we could. No, but the uh, that's what I say. The, the, um, the first time I watched um, Friday Night Lights, I was like, oh, Wow. Um, who's the who's the girl who, uh, who Tim Riggins is with? Oh, um, so Layla is the one. Which... Le- Le- Layla's the one who starts off with me- me- um, the blonde, the blonde girl, the blonde, the blonde girl who's with Tim Riggins at the start. It, by the way, it's alright to fancy these people because <laughs> they are twenty five <laughs> playing eighteen year olds. You know, um, I know exactly what. The, 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 yes, her. yeah, the 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 the, the wild so, yeah, one. So she's meant to be trailer park trash, right? Yeah, and now Tim Riggins is meant to be a hardcore <laughs> drunk. But he's regularly hammered off like six cans, isn't he? Uh, yeah, three cans, three cans, and and he does that classic American thing where he drives to his special place to have his six cans. Get absolutely <laughs> hammered. Texas forever. Uh, yeah, Tim Riggins. Is, what would Tim Riggins do? Is a great is a great mantra to live your life by. But I can't remember her name. But whoever she was, that the first time I watched it was like, oh my god, she's amazing, spectacular. Second time I watched Friday Night Lights it was a few years later, and it was all about Tammy Taylor. Connie Britton, hundred percent, and that and that's and that was just the development of me. Like, Tell you what, there, there is a reoccurring theme, isn't there? So many American shows of the place to go get drunk. So the Wyatt was always like they always went down to the rail depot to get drunk. Can you imagine if you and I we started hanging around, uh, you know, Manchester Metro, the Manchester Metro depot, throwing cans at trams? Yeah, might have to do that. Yeah, we should. We All right, should, Phil. Like. Yep. Imagine, like, do you want to, let's go down to the the bit of canal by the scrap metal works. Yeah, but it's near be Cornbrook Station. Yeah, it's, yeah, the, the bakery, <laughs> the Kellogg's cans. Bakery. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we're just talking about uh, America. Sorry, so Phil's just rejoined us. The, just, the women in Friday Night Lights. Well, actually, he was talking about women in Friday Night Lights. I was talking about places that Americans get drunk on their TV shows, like the rail yard. <laughs> or driving golf balls into the sea or something. Anyway, I, I mean, I know, so what was the I need to finish the email, but I just need to find out the name of the woman. Who was she? Who was she? She was... No. Poor Phil, he's left for five minutes. It's like returning to a burning house. Tyra. <laughs> Tyra. That was it. It was all about Tyra first watch, and then uh, it was all about Connie Britton. Tammy, yeah. Tammy Taylor. Anyway, 
What, what, what was the email? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to let y'all know, says Carl, that there was a, also a successful drop goal in the MLR final. Oh. Add it to the list. Well, tight games need drop goals. Carl, thank you very much for letting us know that. Um, we want to get out to watch an MLR game. and uh, So, yeah, let us know where you are and, and where we should go. But uh, Awesome. Yeah, contact tedchasers at gmail.com. We're going to do another Patreon pod now. Where we can delve into some, we can we can un, oh, we can turn over some rocks that we would leave completely untouched on this podcast. Yeah, we, we can go into some top five places to drink in Manchester. <laughs> top five industrial yards to drink in, in Manchester. <laughs> that's not something the Time Out magazine does, is it? <laughs> yeah, they should. That's exactly right. Right, exactly so right. we'll go there. You can support us and listen to the extra content. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash eggchasers. But thank you very much for listening. Hit subscribe. Um, And let the boys play. Let the boys play.